And so we are going to continue on in our series today on church hurt. And um, I think this has been a really um, impactful series, mainly because I think all of us carry hurt. And not just from the church, but from life. And all of these lessons that we're learning through this series can apply to any situation in life. And, um, and so today, I think we have something that can relate to everyone. We've probably felt this way at some point in our life. Um, and so the question is, have you ever felt used? Have you ever felt like people just had you around because they didn't really want you. They just wanted what you had or what you could do. And that happens a lot in life. In fact, we, we use people all of the time to, to fulfill our happiness, to have needs met in our life. And honestly, it's probably one of the things that hurt the most because when you're used by other people, you really feel invisible to them, right? Like it's kind of like you're just this stand-in person and anybody who had the skill set or the things that you have could fulfill that role for that person in their life. And so what happens is, is, we, we feel like we are just disappearing. We feel unimportant. And honestly, what happens for a lot of us is, is that really affects the way that we view ourselves, the way that we kind of see the way the world looks at us. And for a lot of us, we also feel that way sometimes about God and how God is using us in this world. And so today, what I want us to look at is in the life of Jesus, when you study the gospels, Jesus is used by a lot of people. Jesus is really used by a lot of people. I mean, the, the disciples use Jesus, the Pharisees use Jesus to build their own power and strength, the Sadducees, the Roman governors use Jesus. I mean, a lot of people use Jesus to help them get where they want to be. And the reality is, is Jesus somehow was partially okay with that. I mean, Jesus was okay with some of that, and it kept Jesus going, and Jesus kept uh, that, that going because, honestly, we all need Jesus. We don't need to use Jesus, but we need Jesus. And as I was thinking about this, a couple years ago, there was a young man who came into the church, and this is when Bedrock was first getting started, and um, he was really gung-ho about, like, coming in and being uh, helping and, and all of these things. And what we soon realized was is that he was really there to promote himself and not really be part of the team. And his work eventually started to dwindle. His attendance started to dwindle. His, you know, coming to meetings and things like that, he would be late or he wouldn't come at all. And so it really began to us, like, we were kind of trying to figure out what was going on. Like, did we do something wrong? Did something wrong happen? Like, what was going on? And what we soon realized was, is that he was using us to, to kind of grow his position. And when another position came available, he left immediately. I mean, it was like right at the drop of a hat. It was one week. It was like, hey, I have a better opportunity over here. I'm out of here. And man, I'll just tell you, like, that hurts. That made us feel and me feel like, man, you just used us to get where you wanted to be. Were you ever really in this? Were you ever really a part of what was going on? And what can happen is, is when we feel used by other people, we start to build barriers to people. We start to build a, a way that other people can't get near us because we don't want to feel that way again. We don't want to feel like we're not important to other people. So it's better just to not know anybody than it is to feel used by other people. And that's exactly where I want us to go today is to talk about how did Jesus deal in these moments with feeling used, feeling like people were just there for what he had or what he could offer. But one really important thing to remember when you're used by other people, here's the people that use others a lot. They're narcissists. Narcissists really just care about themselves and you're only profitable to them for what you can do for them. Right, And so you can experience that narcissism. You can experience that hurt at home. You can experience that hurt at work. Maybe you have a boss that doesn't care anything about you or your needs or what's going on in your life. But man, when they need you, you better answer the phone at three in the morning. Or it can happen in church. It's like the only time you're important to the leaders at the church is when you have something to offer. Right When you serve, when you, when you give, whatever it may be, that, oh, okay, now I'm important enough to be known. Now you can know my name. Now all of these things. And what happens is, is this 
Bitterness steps in. And let me tell you when, when this happens. When the mission becomes more important than the people, you'll use people. Here at Bedrock, the mission is about people. We can't mix that up. We can't mix up as we approach and serve and love and try to introduce people into a relationship with God and then grow that relationship with God. We can't forget that the mission is people. It's sharing the good news of God. We're a conduit, right? We are taking the good news of God, the message of God, and we're conduits in which we send out this message to other people around us. And so when we get mission over what God has actually called us to do, and the people are the mission, that's when people start to get used. And so... um, Today, what I want us to do is we're going to start in the Gospel of John, uh, if you go to chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry about it. We have one for you. And so you can see it on the screen, or you can go jump and grab a Bible in the back. So let's look at John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus has this large group of followers that are kind of following him because of all the miracles that Jesus is doing. Right? Jesus is producing a really good work for people. Jesus is doing some unique things for people in this world. And so as long as Jesus is doing miracles, people are in. People are in on Jesus because, man, look at what he can do for me. I don't know if I really want to know him, but I love what he does for me. I love what he produces in my life. And so Jesus begins to teach this hard teaching here after these great crowds are following him, after all the miracles that he's doing, and he teaches on a hard subject. What Jesus teaches is, is this idea of, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not following me. And all of us like are like, well, yeah, he's talking about communion. He's talking about true believers, believe and confess in communion. And remember what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross for us. But for them, this was a foreign concept. And so they're freaked out. So this is what happens in verse 60. On hearing it, that message, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is hard to deal with. I'm not liking what you're saying. I like what you do, but what you're saying now, I'm not in line with that. That's hard for me to deal with. So I don't know if I'm in with you now. Like your usefulness in my life has run out. So here's what happens. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit of life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This teaching on communion and what it meant to really believe and trust in the life of Jesus. These disciples hear this and these people hear this and they can't do this. And this is what happens when people want you more for what you can do and not who you are. A lot of people in here have experienced that. A lot of of us have sensed that feeling in our life that we are important to people for what we can do, not who we are. Maybe you experience this in your marriage or your relationships. You're only as valuable as the work that you do in the relationship. Maybe you've experienced this at your job. They don't really care that your grandma died. They need you to produce work. They need you to do something. Maybe you've experienced this at church, like you can play an instrument or you're a really good communicator or you're a great greeter or hospitality and everyone needs you and knows you when they need something from you, but otherwise you're invisible. This is the kind of person that you get a phone call from only when they need something. Anyone have that person in their phone? When their name comes up, you know that it's a need. And the conversation normally starts like this. Hey, how you doing? You doing okay? It's been a really long time. Everything good? You're like, yeah. Hey, now that I got you on the phone, could I ask you for a favor? Anyone been on that phone call? They're real nice. They need you. They know your name. They're real interested in your family. They're real interested in your business. And then when you give them, like you, you may say, yeah, sure, I can help you with that. No problem. And then you do, and then all of a sudden... 
your number's blocked from their phone and they don't know you anymore. I know that it's funny, but the reality is, is a lot of us have experienced that. I've been in rooms with people and I have it myself. There are certain numbers that I know when that number calls me, it's because they need something. Not because they want to check up, not because they want to talk, but because they need something from me. And let me just tell you something. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when the only reason people want you around or the only reason someone's calling you or talking to you is because they need something from you. Right? There's that old phrase, it's always great to be wanted. I don't know if it's always great to be wanted if you're not really desired as a person. And so what happened to Jesus in this moment, Jesus realizes, look, all this great magnitude of people are following me because of what I can do, of the miracles that I produce in this world. They're in on the miracles. But then when I start to actually teach them some of the hard things about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow after me and what they're going to have to go through, they're gone. And I wonder for us, if we're honest in this room, Are we more into God because of what he can do for us than who he actually is for us? I mean, God can do a lot for us. God can free us. God can save us. God can anoint us. God can call us. God can do all of these things. He can bless us in our life. And I know a lot of people who are in on what God can do for you and not who God is. Let me ask you a question. If God did nothing else for you the rest of your life, would you still believe? If God did nothing else for you for the rest of your life, but he just saved you, would you still follow him? Would that be enough? Would just knowing God and knowing his love for you be enough to follow after God? This is why I think the prosperity gospel falls flat on its face. Because it's not really about who God is. It's about what God can do. We call this seeking the hand of God and not the face of God. So this is what it means. This is how we approach God. Cameron, can you come up here real quick? Cameron didn't know he was going to get called up, but he is now. Cameron. He had a nosebleed earlier, so we're going to to see what happens, okay? And so, watch out. This is what seeking the hand of God is like rather than the face of God. This is what you do. Hey, can I have some money? Hey, can I have some grace? Can I have some peace? You notice how I never look at him? Thanks. And I'm gone. That's what seeking the hand of God rather than the face of God is like. If I was really seeking the face of God, it would be, how are you? What's going on? Love you. Appreciate you. You're awesome. You dress really nice today. I hope your nose stops bleeding. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. Everyone's so scared to sit on the front rows because that's kind of the only rows I can see. So if if you want to get called up, sit up front, right? It's like the splash zone at at, uh, SeaWorld. No one wants to sit there. But, hey, some people are wild and they'll do it. So what happens here for us is you feel less than or you feel this innate need and you believe the lie that the only reason why someone would want me is because of what I can do. Young people getting ready to date, young people who are dating, do not ever approach dating with people because of what you can do in the relationship what you can offer the other person. Because let me just tell you something, young people, you will be cast away as soon as your usefulness has run out. Find people who love you for you. Find people who want to know you and not what you do or not what you have. Because that's what happens for a lot of us is is we get nervous because we've realized, man, my usefulness is what I produce here. And because of what I produce here, the moment I stop producing is the moment I'll be discarded. So some of us in the room, in all of our relationships in life, we're running on a hamster wheel trying to impress people that don't really love us so they'll just keep us around. It's exhausting and it's tiresome and you don't feel good about yourself in the process. Because what happens is, is not only when, when that happens, like you, you are in this moment where you are being used, you're not seen, but the reality is, is people really don't see the needs that you have. Like when you're being used by people, they will never recognize or want to meet the needs that you actually have. Some of us have been in relationships, at churches, in all of these moments in our life where we're sticking around hoping that someone will finally love us and like us. 
And we have all of these needs, but we ignore our needs. We ignore what's going on actually in our life because, man, I just, I, I just hope that they'll love me. I hope that they'll see me. So I'm going to serve extra, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to burn myself out trying to impress people that don't even know my name and should by now. I had this experience a couple years ago. I was the offender, though, okay? So um, when I was at Liberty, I worked for the co-founder, and every semester we had between 2,000 and 3,000 students that we were, we were managing. So, I mean, that's a lot of tests. That's a, so we had this whole army of workers that worked for me, and I, we had tiers of workers, and one of the workers that we had was a, just a student volunteer. She was getting... Um, she was getting her CSCR hours, Christian service hours, something Liberty requires. And so she would come in and she would like help alphabetize all of these scantrons or things like that and then help us input that later. Well, um, there was a day and, and, you know, okay, I, I hate to say this. I had so many workers and they would just come in so sporadically that I would just say like, what's your name? And then I'd, and then I'd forget it immediately. Right, anyone in here suffer with that? I have name amnesia. That's what happens to me. And so I can remember your story and I can remember your face, but names are hard for me and I'm working on it. But because of this, I have trauma. And so, um, <clears throat> so she worked for us. She was super nice, a really good worker, great person. One day, Kelsey and I are at Target and we're together, we're, we're talking, we're, we're shopping and this girl walks in and I recognize her face, right? So she comes over. She's like, Blake, how are you doing? She's so excited. Oh, it's so good to see you. Hey, thanks so much for letting me do Christian service. I'll, she's super excited. And I'm like, uh-oh. And so I was like, oh, hey, this is my wife, Kelsey. Kelsey and I have a system now, okay? If I say this is my wife, Kelsey, Kelsey immediately goes, hi, I'm Kelsey. What's your name? Okay? So if I, this is my wife, Kelsey, Hi. Well, Kelsey left me out to dry, <laughs> like bad. I was like, hey, this is my wife, Kelsey. And Kelsey just smiled awkwardly, and I smiled awkwardly, and the girl was like awkwardly standing there. And I thought, so I, had to, I was like, hey, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. I said, I just see so many people in I know your face. I, I, I know your story, but I'm, I'm sorry. Your name is slipping my mind right now. Uh, and she goes, oh, my name is Christina, a name I will never forget. <laughs> and she's like, my name's, I'll tell you why in a minute, <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> so she's like, my name's Christina. I was like, Christina, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much for how you serve uh, like us and, and what you do for us. You, you are important. Not important enough to know her name, apparently. And so about 20 minutes later, because that was awkward, right? We're walking through the store. I look down an aisle. We're leaving. <laughs> There's Christina on the aisle. So I thought, I'm going to use her name because, you know, I'm going to make a joke of this. So I said, bye, Christine. And Kelsey goes, uh. And I was like, oh, no. And she just waved. She never returned to work again. Christine, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. You know why she didn't work with us again? Because she realized that she was there for one purpose and we really didn't care about her. And as a person, I regretted that for a really long time because I don't ever want anyone to feel like you weren't important enough to know. And so now we have this system and now I, I try to play all these games in my mind to learn people's names. I mean, I really, it's like the most, the, the, there's an old phrase, the sweetest word in any language is a person's name. So I'm working on it, okay? So forgive me if I forget your name. I'll forgive you if you forget mine. And so what happens here is she felt used because she was just important to us for this job that she was doing, and we really didn't know her as a person. And because we really didn't know her as a person, when I didn't really connect with her and, and know her, and Kelsey didn't, and, and like our team didn't, she left. Because she, and good, good for her actually. Because the reality was is she had enough self-worth to go, you know what? I'm not going to be around a group of people that don't actually see me for who I am. So good for you, Christina. You taught me a good lesson. And so 
what happens is, is when, when you're in an organization or you're in a place and your needs are obsolete, you're going to disappear. Matthew chapter 26, look at what the Bible says here. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. So whenever you see the word Gethsemane in the Bible and Jesus says, I'm going to Gethsemane, we'll take you there. Uh, by the way, if you're going with us to Israel, you have one week left to sign up, okay? Um, so we're going in December, December 27th to January 4th. If you want to go to Israel, I would encourage you to do it. You need to come see me this week, and you'll find the money. You'll find the way. God will change your life. I promise that. But we'll take you to this place, the Garden of Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, there's all of these olive trees, and what Gethsemane means is olive press. This is really important to what is going on, right? Because what is, what's going to happen to Jesus as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's being pressed. And you press olive Olives, three times you press olives. First, you get the extra virgin, right? That's good for cooking. Uh, this is the purest oil. The second oil is a second pressing. It's a little bit dirtier, but it's, it's kind of, um, it's still usable. You wouldn't use it for nice things, but you might cook with it a little bit. It's not as good. The third pressing is terrible oil, and that's the oil that you use to light lamps. Okay, so the oil that would go in a lamp, that's from the third press. How many times is Jesus pressed in the garden? We're going to see it in just a second. He's pressed three times. Three times. And then he's ready to be this offering for God, for us. So what happens is they're in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. We talked about these guys during the Chosen series. The sons of thunder. Along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed. Imagine someone telling you, my soul is overwhelmed. Not I'm anxious. Not like I have, my, I have a rumbling in my tummy because this is scary. No, Jesus literally is saying, my soul is overwhelmed. What I'm about to do for humanity is this is big. And it's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then, verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. First pressing. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Just one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Second pressing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. I'm so sorry. You're sleepy. I am about to die. So this is what happened. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time. The third pressing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus didn't need a lot from people. Jesus never asked for a lot from people. But in his deepest moment of need, in the darkest hour of his life, Jesus just needed his friends to stay up with him while he prayed for strength to get through the coming hours. And they couldn't stay awake. And man, they all needed Jesus so much. And, and Jesus needed to speak into their life so much. But when Jesus needed them, they didn't see his need. Could you imagine just for a second, not only are you going to die for the sins of the world and you are the innocent son of God, but then the men that you've poured your life into for these last three and a half years, they can't stay awake with you the night that you're going to be portrayed and go to the cross. Could you imagine just that feeling for just a second? It is so disheartening when people don't see us in what we really need. We may be meeting the needs of everyone else in our life, but man, we feel used because no one returns the favor. No one else comes with us. 
This can happen to volunteers. This can happen to, to your friends, your wife, your, your, your husband, your kids. Like we just get singularly focused on our needs and somehow everyone else is in the wake of where we're going. And if they can't get out of the way and they can't help, then you just, they're just run over and they move on. And so you feel invisible because, man, your needs aren't seen at all. But not only that, when people ridicule you, when people ridicule you, and I'll tell you what ridicule looks like in Christianity, sarcasm. And here's why. In Christianity, we're not brave enough to just be rude to your face, so we'll do it with a smile on our face and say it in a funny way. Right? That's what goes on. That, that's how we, we, we make fun of people in a kind way. Now, look, there's times that you can jest with your friends. There's times that you can give people a hard time. Of course, that's fun-loving. But there's also times where people are sarcastic on purpose because they really are frustrated with you and what's going on, or they don't really like you. And then they say these things, but, man, they're innocent because, well, they didn't really mean it, right? Sarcasm honestly hurts just as bad as direct cutting words. And so what happens is is when you feel ridiculed by people, you're like, man, the only reason I was here, the only reason that I I was part of this was because of what I could do for you, and then you demean me in the process. You only want me for what I, I can do, and now while I'm doing it, you ridicule me because I'm not important to you. Because what I have to offer you isn't enough to know me as a person. Matthew 27, verse 27 Jesus has been now at the night trial. He's getting ready to be crucified. And the Bible says this. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They're being sarcastic. They put a staff in his right hand like a king would have. They knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. You know what's weird about this is, is they're mocking Jesus wholeheartedly. They, they are ridiculing Jesus, but they are actually anointing him as a king. He has been crowned. He has the staff in his right hand. He is worshipped, and the cross is his throne, where he is seated high. And he is ruling and reigning in that moment, doing what only he could do as king, which was to pay for the sins of humanity. But all the while, while Jesus is loving and serving people, people are ridiculing him. I mean, how used do you have to feel that while you're doing the hardest thing in the world for people who are unappreciative, they actually ridicule you and mock you? Some of you feel that way and you feel invisible, but not only does that happen, not only do people ridicule you and people want you for only what you can do and people, they, they see you in so many different ways and, they, and you don't have your needs met, but not only that, but when people want you for what you have, not who you are. See, some people can't do a lot of things, but they have a lot of things. And some people want friends, and, and they get around people in their life because of all the stuff that they have. Does anyone remember that movie, Richie Rich, when we were kids, when I was a kid? And he had all this money. He was this kid. He was like a, and all of his friends were just friends with him because of all the stuff he had. And then when he kind of caught on to that, he kind of gets rid of them. They feel bad, and then they, they come back. But some of us feel that way in our life. Like, you only want me for what I have, not who I am. Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 to 37, Jesus is on the cross. As they were going out, they met a man of Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Do you want to know how unimportant Jesus was to them? Do you want to know how used Jesus was? He was only worth the clothes that were on his back. And so they bet on his clothes while he was hanging on the cross. And sitting down, they kept watch over him. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. 
And so while Jesus is reigning, and while Jesus is getting prepared to pay for the sins of those men casting lots in front of him, they're just dividing up his clothes because the only thing that Jesus was worth to them was what he had. I think for a lot of us, We've struggled with that from time to time, either in our relationships with others, like uh, we want to be friends with people because of what they have, and we may, we may not like them really, or we may not know them very well, but we're going to hang around because they have a nice boat. Or we've experienced that. We have a nice car, we have a nice house, we have whatever, and people just kind of want to be around us because of the things that we have. But I wonder too, not only do we believe and some of us struggle with following God because of what he can do for us, but some of us are following God simply because of what he has. See, the benefits that come with the blessing that come with God are come from knowing him, not just what he pours out upon you. Because how many of us know, like, if you got a blessing and you didn't have the relationship with God to keep you grounded, to keep you where you needed to be, that blessing would quickly become a curse. You know what the NFL stands for? Not for long. Did you know that the majority of NFL players are bankrupt within three to five years of retiring? You know why? Because people gave them what they had, but no one gave a lot of these guys relationship. No one gave a lot of these guys understanding of money, of, of how to manage all of these things. And so they just were important for what they had, and no one really invested in them. It's sad. It's, you're, you're almost cursing people in the process of that. And so how many of us have felt that way, like in church or in groups or in life, like they, they want you to host a small group at your house, but they don't call you during the week. They, they, they want you to come and serve or give or whatever, but man, they don't really know your name. They don't really know you. And what happens is, is like you feel used. Is this just about what I have? Not about who I am. And the other works too. Some of us have a lot, so we'll use people because we'll leverage what we have over them. And this becomes detrimental to building true community and building people up the way that they should be and for loving people well. And it will never really work well in our relationship with God because what God has comes with who he is. And when you understand who he is, then you get what he has. But not only that, You'll feel very used in life when you're only seen through the circumstances you've been through. When the circumstances that, that you've been through in this life are, are what everyone sees you as, you'll be used or you won't be used. Listen to what Matthew chapter 27 verse 39 says. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. Sounds like sarcasm. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him, also heaped insults on him. Sometimes people who use you only see you in the circumstance that you find yourself in right now. So you'll always be that broken single mom. You'll always be that person who's hurting financially. You'll always be that person with messed up mental health. You'll always be that person who's not reliable. You'll always be that person who does the foolish thing. You'll always be that person who is separate from us because of what you've done. And you'll use people when the only thing that you see them for is the circumstance that they currently find themselves in and not really get to know them for the person they are inside. That's what everyone saw Jesus as. What, what use do you have of us now? Look at you, you're hung up on a cross. What can you really do for us? Man, you talked a big game, but now you're dying. What that tells you is, is people wanted what Jesus had. People wanted what Jesus could do. People really didn't see his needs. And they just saw him for what he was currently in. Here's the danger. 
is you will fabricate your circumstances in life to make people like you when you don't really believe that they'll love you for you. This is what the Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat, I mean, just name it, fabricated life is all about. I mean, if people really knew how much I was hurting, if people really knew the things that I was going through, if people really knew how broke I was, if people really knew how messed up my relationships were, if people really knew they wouldn't want me. So what you're telling me is everyone else in your life is using you for the fake you. And that's why you feel like you don't have any close relationships. Because it's not you. It's this persona that you've put out there in the world. And then when you get around people, you got to act. You got to behave. You got to hold it together. Instead of people really seeing you for who you are. And here's the reality. When no one else sees you, it can feel like God doesn't either. When you feel used by everybody else, when you feel used in this world, you feel invisible. And it's like when no one else sees you, you can start to implant that on your relationship with God And you can begin to feel invisible to him. Matthew chapter 27 verses 45 to 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lema sabachthion. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It seems like you don't see me either. Where did you go? What is going on? And a lot of us read this as if Jesus feels lost in the moment. I don't think Jesus is lost in the moment. I think Jesus is equating with us how many of us can feel towards God when others use us and don't treat us well. You can feel invisible. But Jesus does something so interesting. And Bible scholars of the time and Bible readers of the times, eyes and ears would have perked up to what Jesus just said. Because you may feel invisible to God, but the reality is, is God sees you completely. Because Jesus quotes Psalm 22. I'm going to read the entire psalm. I want you to just listen with me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is the first verse. Sounds familiar, right? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Now, just tell me if, These verses equate with the verses we just read. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. Since he delights in him, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open, that open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. And all of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried like a botcherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Guys, if you think this story is made up, this is crazy. This is thousands of years before Jesus shows up. But, verse 19, you, Lord, do not be far from me. 
You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Do you feel afflicted in here? Do you feel used in here? Do you feel invisible in here? Do you feel like no one sees you? Do you feel like you are just important for what you have or what you do and that your needs are not important? Psalm 22 tells us a different story. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering or the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. This is what the psalmist says. Although I may feel used, God, you are using me. And when the Lord is using you to fulfill and do great things in this world, he sees you. He knows your name. The hairs on your head are counted. And for me, they're getting fewer and fewer. God loves you. God sees you. And when no one else does, he does. That's why I believe Jesus quotes Psalm 22, 1 on the cross. Because he was reminded that when everyone else is against me, when everyone else has used me, when everyone else doesn't see my needs, when everyone else doesn't understand what I'm going through, and I am all alone, I am never alone, for your eyes are upon me. And you, God, are using me to produce a great work in this world, and all I need is you. To my audience, this is it. This is all for you, Lord. And that's enough. And so what happens for you and I is this. You may feel used. You may feel like you're only important to people for what you have or what you do. And no one sees your needs. And they ridicule you. And, and only people see you for the circumstance you're in except for God. God sees you. God knows you. He's called you and appointed you. And so for you and I, we can find great fulfillment and great healing knowing that the eyes of the Lord are upon us. That he loves you and you're not invisible and he knows your name even if no one else does. And so how, like, what can we do? Like, How can we begin to heal in this process as we get ready to end? And the one thing is this. This is what I found that helps a lot. Look for appreciation from others through action, not just words. I mean, a lot of us need to hear it. A lot of us need to hear like, hey, you're doing great. Thank you so much. You are awesome. If you've never heard that from me, you're doing great. I love you and you're awesome. But here's the deal. How they, how they love you. Do they come and give you a hug? Do they see you? Do they grab you a coffee? When you spill coffee, do they pick up a napkin and wipe down the floor for you? Or whatever it is, look for appreciation through action. This can really help spouses. This can really help people dating. This can really help you with your kids. Because like my kids don't always say thank you, mom and dad. But you know what a thank you is? Is when they put their own dish in the sink. And I see their appreciation through action, not just through words. Right? Because every parent knows you got to buy a thank you sometimes. Right? Like you do something and you look at your kids and you're like. <laughs> and? And you try to like, you're leading them. And? The kids are like, I don't know. What are you saying? Thank you. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, feel sincere. <laughs> but you know what? When those kids put that dish away or something, they're showing their appreciation in the way that they know how. Love them for that. Don't resent your kids because they don't say the word thank you. Teach them. 
Teach them to say these things. Teach them to express it. But learn to see it in other ways as well. For some of, I know for moms especially. Kelsey always says this. She's the protein. I'm the dessert. Okay? She says it all the time. She's like meat and vegetables. She keeps the kids alive. She like makes sure they're eating the right things. And I'm like, let's go to ice cream tonight. Right? I am the dessert. Can you understand? Because when you're the ice cream guy, everyone says thank you. You know what I mean? Because you're like, you're getting people pumped up. You're like, you know what, guys? Free pizza today. Everyone's like, thank you, Pastor Blake. Right? And everyone's freaked out. Meanwhile, there's people doing all other kinds of things. I just get to be the ice cream guy. But you know what? I, I like, I know, because Kelsey, I've heard it. She's like, do these kids even see me? Do they even know? Do they even appreciate? But you know what happens when they cry? You know who the first person they go to? Mama. That act is an act of appreciation, whether it's said or not. And even though I'm the ice cream guy, I'm the second guy they come to when life gets tough. Unless someone needs beat up. Then Jude comes to me and goes, Dad, just kill him. And I'm like, I'm not killing anybody, man. What the heck? <laughs> he literally told that to his sister. <laughs> yeah, listen, this was a story driving home from church last night. Scout left uh, some paintings here. And she's like, Dad, please turn. I'm like, no one's going to take your paintings. Don't worry. And then Jude goes, and if they do, Dad will kill them. <laughs> and I was like, what the heck? I looked at him, I'm not killing any of our painting? <laughs> Crazy. You just amped, okay? <laughs> All right, here's another way to help us not feel used. It's a, it's a word. I need everyone, we're going to practice it now together. Everyone say, it's really, it's hard. Some of you may choke, <clears throat> try to say it. The word is no. Everyone say no. Okay, no. <laughs> that was good. That, no, right? Uh, uh, all right, let's try it again because I didn't feel it in the room. Let's say no. no. It's okay to say no sometimes. Don't let yourself be used. You have some control in this situation. Say no. It's okay. We're reasonable people. And here's the deal. At Bedrock, we care more about you for who you are than what you do or what you have. We love you. We appreciate you. So when you say no, we're reasonable. We're going to always be reasonable. Say no. Find the right perspective. How is helping others helping you? How is helping others helping you? Heart check. Are you here to serve or you, are you here to be seen? Let me just tell you something. If your whole goal is to be seen by everybody else, by the stuff that you do around the world, you're going to get very tired and burn out very quickly. It's not about being seen. Be seen in other ways. Be known in other ways. When you're here to serve and love people, then serve and love people, not yourself. Not only that, appreciation is contagious. Share it. Some of you in here like, man, I, I've seen this stalemate in marriages so many times. Right, Because what it is, is it goes like this. Well, they don't appreciate anything that I do. They don't see all the work that I do. They don't see all these things that happen. They don't know how hard my life is. They don't know. And then the other person says, well, they don't know how hard I work and they don't know. And then each person is standing there and won't say thank you. And I appreciate you to the person because they're holding on to their own hurt of feeling used. And they both stand there like a draw and no one's making the first move. Make the first move. Tell your spouse, your partner, your friend, your kids, your boss, whoever. Thank you. Thank you for what you do for me. Thank you for how you provide for me. Thank you for how well you love me. Thank you for whatever. Be first. And not only that, tell people how you're feeling. There are no medals in heaven for suffering in silence. Because here's the deal. When you suffer in silence, you don't provide the people you want healing from to speak into it. You rob them of that opportunity. And how many of us have left people, places, churches, businesses, jobs, families, relationships, because we never gave people the opportunity to speak into our hurt? Because, man, I'm used. They must not care about me. Oh, man, they, they, they must not really love me. They must not really need me. They, they, they don't really do these things. And so, man, I'm just going to suffer in silence, and then I'll disappear. 
Open up. Tell people about how you're feeling. Tell people about what's going on so that they can love you and that they can speak into that. And you know what? If they won't, then leave. Then that's the wrong place. People won't hear what's really going on in your life and love you that much. Then you've probably calculated properly in your mind how they actually feel about you. But give them the opportunity to speak into your life and speak into your mind. And so as we finish up this morning, I'm going to pray because, man, there's a lot going on this afternoon. And so we got a big kids camp coming up. I think we have 90 to 100 kids signed up now at this point. So there are going to be a lot of little people in this room and in this place that, that need to hear about Jesus. And we get to impact the next generation. Uh, this week, it's one of the most important weeks, I think, as a church that we can be a part of is pouring into kids, pouring into the next generation, and actually making church fun, making Jesus fun. I think Jesus is fun. I think that's one of the biggest sins the church has ever committed is making God boring. And so would you pray with us? Would you join us? Would you serve with us? Would you stay and help us set up? Whatever it is, be a part of this family. Come and be known. Be seen, not used. Be, be heard, be known, be a part of this community. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to head out of here. God, we love you. God, we thank you so much for your word and your truth. And God, I thank you. That is, people didn't see you, and people didn't know you, and, and, and people only wanted to be around you for what you had or what you could do for them, that you continued towards the cross. And even the greatest moments of feeling used and unseen when people ridiculed you, and berated you and mocked you, you stayed on the cross because you knew that, yes, people were using you, but not only that, but God was using you to do something so much greater. And because of your relationship with the Father, you were able to persevere. And so, God, I pray today for every single one of us in this room that you would deepen our relationship with you that we would serve and love and follow an audience of one and we would not find our worth in other people and find our worth in what we do or what we have and that God, no one in this room would feel like they need to earn other people's love and that we don't need to earn your love. You give it freely, we just accept it. And so God, I pray today for anyone in here that has never accepted your love that you live for them, that you died for them, and you rose again because you love them, that they would respond to that love today and that they would confess and believe and turn from their sin and turn wholly towards you for you love them. But every one of us in here that is a son and daughter of you, God, may we be reminded that our relationship with you is not built on performance, but on relationship and love and that we don't have to perform, we just need to be. And so God, today, I pray that you renew that love in our own hearts, in our own minds, and that that love that we receive from you would pour out into the lives of others and others would be important to us. So God, today, anybody in here who who has felt used and abused, God, I pray that they get some new perspective today, that they know that Jesus went through the same exact thing and felt the same feelings, but he persevered. And so, God, I pray that they find comfort and joy and peace in knowing that you understand them and that you see them and that you want to heal them. And so, God, we praise you today. We lift you high today. We honor you today. Thank you, God, for all that you have done for us. We only want to know you more. We love you in Christ's name. And everyone said.